electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, David Seberg, Sue Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the Bitcoin bulls are back in town as the cryptocurrency soars past $8,000. Is it heading back to its December highs? The crypto baller himself, Brian Kelly, will join us to break it down. Plus, shares of Netflix rallying more than 8% this week, and that's nothing compared to how big a move traders see it having on earnings Monday. We'll tell you how to play it. But first, we start off with the market sell-off stock. Sinking today, the Dow closing down by 120 points off the lows of the session, though. This is earnings season kicks off with a whimper on Wall Street, despite the big beats by major banks, JP Morgan, City, Wells Fargo, all trading lower today. And this was supposed to be the earnings season that saved the rally, as we've heard from a slew of top strategists. So the question is, is today's action in the banks a warning sign? And are we about to enter the earnings season of pain, guys. What a season of pain. Well, wasn't it? Listen, obviously the price action was pretty miserable. I thought the earnings were pretty fantastic, especially J.P. Morgan. Price action was not commensurate with the move. But I don't think it, it doesn't augur for a poor earnings season, I don't think. And if you really look at the broader market, yeah, we closed lower. But you know what? The VIX closed below 17 and a half for the first time in quite some time. And we're still healthily above that 2580 level in the S&P. So although today had some noise in it and clearly had some hair in terms of how the markets performed in banks, I don't think necessarily that this warning season is some uh, harbinger of pain. I don't think that it's that earnings will be bad. It's that earnings will be good and we'll continue to see lousy price action because everybody thought earnings were going to be good. So the bar was high going into the season. Well, so, you know, two or three weeks ago, we were in the theater of pain, which is a great Motley Crue album, by the way, one of their best folks, <laughs> um, if it's even possible to say that. So, so um, look, my point will always be that if we expected great earnings, they were in the price. We need, we certainly have a, a, understanding that year over year for the first quarter we're going to see roughly 18 percent we know that the tax deal means that a lot of these guys have actually got a significantly higher you know eps and that's been put into the price we then know that corporate ceos need to actually begin to assess where the rest of the year is and that there's very little reason why these guys should set the bar incredibly high so those financials numbers to me those are ones to buy anyone that's talking about a flat yield curve has no idea how these guys make money i'm sorry uh, if you look at how banks, I said this yesterday, I'll say it every single day. These banks have made a lot of money, and I mean just re-rating in terms of their multiple in, in times where the yield curve was flat or even inverted. So Fed's going to hike in the next few months. I actually think this is a good time to own banks. Yeah, I mean, look, if today is today a signal of what's to come? I mean, are we going to sell off on good earnings? I don't think this is a signal at all. Look, I, I think if you have a gun to head and you're a long, short you know, hedge fund manager going into a weekend with all the headline risk, geopolitical risk, political risk, tweets that could come out, who knows what. You're not going to go, you'd rather go home short than, than long in this market. So I think de-risking, Why do you sell the, the stories that just reported earnings and had good just, numbers feasibly into that long I, I weekend? Why do you, as they soon as cut into, the flowers and sell the wheat? Cut the flowers and the wheat. Yeah. Right. I, I, I think they moved, now. well, look at the move they had into earnings. And you're right, expectations were very high. I don't think they were poor quarters whatsoever. They were actually good quarters. They didn't blow away expectations. That, isn't that the problem, think, though? No, I, I think it's fine. Look, Mel, yeah. I'd say 
I'd say in general, I, I think banks are fine. Everybody I talk to that invests in banks. Why are you selling bank, everything again? Did not, you just say sell everything? No, no, no. no. I what didn't say that. I said that hedge funds are selling into the, into the weekend. So I, I don't think today, today's price action was terrible, obviously. No one could argue with that especially in J.P. Morgan. But if you look at the reason why I think we sold off, I think we sold off. It was Friday. It was a de-risking before the weekend. There was some China trade worries still, some Trump firing worries still. I'm surprised we didn't hear one after the bell. Rosenstein's the big one that's rumored. Mueller's the one after that. So I think this was a de-risking day. If this were had been yesterday, I think the market would have held its own. I, I think it was a lot to do I'm with I'm going to ask the question worries. again, though. On a de-risking day, why do we have the de-risking primarily taking place in the, in the financials versus other sectors I, I of the market? They take right? place in everything. I, yeah, no, those were the financials best. are down 1.6%. The worst performing sector. They've also been one of the best coming into this. So what led today? Energy, because energy... Why didn't Texella okay. look, look, bottom line is markets had a great week. They had their best week in a long time. And, and, and the rest of the indices, I thought, traded fantastic. Yeah. Indices closed basically flat, down 10 to 20 to 30 bips. After a week we've had with all these things you guys are talking about, I actually think it was a very interesting, I'm not calling a this a change market, of character. But it but, was but, a win for the, it was an outside day, but I don't even know, when we talk about outside days, I don't even know the trend that's changed. Is it an, is it an uptrend or is it a downtrend? We've had kind of both. Well, it's but a it was an outside day today. So, so then, then you have to be more bullish. But I, I would think the markets can move higher. The outside day today signifies there's confusion within the markets, and it usually is indicative of a market that's changing its recent trend. Here, here's one thing that was really important this week, though. We had confirmation that this is not a growth scare. And if you think about where the data has been, I don't think anyone was out there saying growth scare. You mean but from the Fed? Uh, well, I, I think people, again, that are talking about the yield curve say it wouldn't be inverting if we weren't starting to get X, Y, and Z. We've certainly seen... PMIs that have been rolling over. We've seen confidence indicators that have rolled over this week. University of Michigan today rolling over a little bit. So, you know, next week we have retail sales in the U.S. We have China GDP and retail sales coming in on Monday. We're going to continue to, I think, get a story. Um, we also got hot inflation numbers this week, which I think were just hot enough to say things are actually okay and not so okay that the Fed is so, you know, if anything, I thought the data this week confirmed they that this is a the growth banks, story. Though. They did sell the banks, though, just on Diamond's commentary, that it was a competitive market. All the numbers were blowout numbers. They sold the banks because he said it was a competitive landscape and loan growth was uh, subpar. It was a non-event. So I think that's the reason why they decided to sell finance. Right. So if you're an investor and you're investing in this space, I think you're, and you have a long-term objective, you haven't changed anything today, right? If you're a short-term trader and you're making a bet ahead of the quarters, ahead of these bank earnings, and you're a hedge fund, that's got basically bland performance right now, you know, at this point in time during the year with all the geopolitical risk, you're taking risk off in an environment like this. So I look at it and say the banks, in my opinion, are fine. Nothing's changed fundamentally. I think that you hear the comments from the CEOs. They've been very straightforward and they echo the comments that they've made, you know, in the past. That's basically been the bull thesis behind the story here. So nothing has changed fundamentally, in my opinion. Does it change the narrative around earnings? Not at all. And I don't think it changes it at all. The only thing quickly that has changed, if you want to sort of cast a little bit of a cloud, book values for these banks, which have been going up every quarter, pretty systematically, actually is starting to wane a little bit. You look at J.P. Morgan, book value is supposed to be north of 68 bucks. It wasn't. Wells Fargo, book value actually went down from last quarter. That's something to watch. I'm not saying it's some huge warning sign, but it's something to watch. With that said, I still think the right multiple for book value is somewhere between 1.6 and 1.9, and we're not there yet. 
In terms of earnings next week, which ones are you watching most closely? Well, look, we have we have more banks and we have we have a yeah. lot of big tech sure. numbers. I think Netflix. I think Netflix is very important because I think it's been you know the yeah. highest flying stock. And and I just talked about this in closing bell. I'm actually surprised that Netflix performed so well even in those downdrafts. If you think about where it had come from, so um, in a world where a lot of this stuff still has remained defensive and it's been hold it until it, it you know that character has been broken. I think Netflix is very important, especially after the bank numbers were okay. We're going right into that on Monday. And, and again, banks who, who fundamentally, I think, look very good, as we've all said, sold off dramatically. What do we do today, Grasso? Uh, I thought about buying GE. I didn't because I thought it was going to get caught up in the, in the overall macro market pull down. But it actually performed pretty quite well. So I'm going to take a look at it again. But I bought stocks yesterday. Nothing today. Uh, actually, uh, some of these marijuana stocks, some of these cannabis names like CanTrust, I mean, these stocks took off when some news headlines hit, and I think they're going to continue to rally, so continue to add to certain positions there. Tim? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we, we're going to talk a lot, I think, about that next week. I'll just say that that story with John Boehner coming out saying he's yeah. sitting on the board of a company, uh, I think the story in cannabis is changing dramatically. Legislation in here is probably about to change. Um, for me, I tell you what, I'm trading tactically a lot of stuff in a range. I see S&P failing at 2,700, and I think this is kind of a place where you're actually taking stuff off the table. Some of that tactical stuff I traded towards the end of the day. We did, what do we did that thing where you play the music, the little bells play with the, with the notes, and then I walk over there and I teach people Things. Oh, the more you know. Yeah, we did that yesterday. That was a fun one. But we talked about specifically Tesla traded okay today. So, you know, we had a pretty interesting conversation about why, why not. But, again, I think you buy the continued strength, at least what you're seeing in Tesla. And the oil service names traded well. Halliburton did well today as well. All right. Coming up, speaking of earnings, it is a big week next week. And the chart master sees something in one stock he's calling a major warning sign. He'll be here to break it down. Plus, Bitcoin having one of its best weeks of the year. Are the Bitcoin bulls back in charge? Our favorite crypto baller, Brian Kelly, will join us. And later, Apple is seeing Red, the smartphone giant, unveiling its limited edition of the iPhone 8. But will it mean more green ahead for the stock? We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Bitcoin is an alternative payment system which is very badly needed. People are turning to Bitcoin, or have up to now, turned to Bitcoin in the hopes of having a currency that they can use without the surveillance of the U.S. Of course, for illicit purposes and for good purposes, but at the end of the day, there's a definitely a desire for an alternative to the U.S. dollar. That was market guru Mark Mobius making an optimistic call on Bitcoin earlier today on Squawk Box. This bullish tone comes as Bitcoin, Bitcoin posts one of its best weeks of 2018. The cryptocurrency gaining more than 20 percent this week alone. And that's got Bitcoin bulls making some bold calls. Silicon Valley legend Tim Draper announcing that he thinks Bitcoin will hit $250,000 by 2022. Noted crypto investors Tom Lee and Spencer Bogart both see $25,000 by year end. For more on this, let's bring in our very own crypto baller, Brian Kelly. He joins us now on the phone. Um, BK, Tim Draper seems kind of crazy when he's saying $250,000 by 2022. And you know what? It sounds crazy, but think about it this way. That's four years from now. That's a 3,000% return from here, which again sounds crazy. But over the last two years, Bitcoin's had a 4,000% return. So now, again, it's parabolic, but it would just be a continuation of the trend that we've seen. As Bitcoin moves to become more institutionalized, though, in terms of investor flows, would we see those kinds of parabolic moves or does the, tr does the trading get sort of dampened, the volatility get dampened? Well, well, the hope is the volatility gets dampened and, and that way it becomes a lot more usable because the big 
problem with Bitcoin now is, you know, using it as a currency uh, is very difficult because of the volatility. You use it in the countries that Mark Mobius was talking about because you don't have an alternative. This is what you have to use. But we'd certainly like to see with futures, you know, this week we had big volume in futures. That'll hopefully tamp down the volatility a bit. That doesn't mean we can't, it can't reach those levels. It just might not do it as fast as it did in the last two years. It might take four years, like Tim Draper say. What's your own forecast, Beeks? Oh, what's my own forecast? Listen, I think, uh, you know, if we can get transaction volumes up again, then there's no reason why this couldn't be at 20, 25,000 by the end of the year again. We can make a new high. And in terms of next week, this week was a very, very big week. What are you watching for next week in terms of whether or not we can hold these gains? Yeah, this, this week was huge. You want to look at transaction volumes. It's starting to tick up. We're trying to make a bottom. You know, this week could have been just speculative. We have tax selling rolling off. We had some short covering going on. So we need the fundamentals, which is number of transactions, to catch up to this a bit. And if we see that, then I do think we've bottomed here and we've got a sustainable bull run ahead of us. Hey, uh, BK, it's Seberg. Question for you. I mean, you talk about adoption and sort of that driving the price higher. But as far as it, store value is concerned, store value, I look at it and say we're looking at Bitcoin a lot of times through the lens of being an American. But other countries don't have trustworthy banking systems, don't have trusting governments. I mean, isn't that really the driver behind the value of Bitcoin over the long term? Sure. I was talking to a friend today and I say, and they said, well, why would somebody who, who why would somebody put money into this? You know, if they're afraid of their country's government, if they're afraid of of losing money when they could lose 25 percent on Bitcoin. And my answer was, well, listen, it's better than losing 100 percent if your assets are seized by a rogue government. So that is the use case today. Uh, it's definitely really volatile, but that's the use case today. And hopefully, you know, as we get into the supply chain, we'll have a lot of other use cases. Hey, Brian, you know, cynical comment about the, the, the excuse that a lot of the pushdown was tax-related selling when if the market in Bitcoin is two-thirds, probably in Asia, which, and I'd like you to elaborate on that because it seems to me that is what we're talking about here. Why would that be U.S. tax selling that actually had been knocking it down? Yeah, so there's a couple different parts of that. I think U.S. tax selling certainly had a piece of it. Tom Lee estimated at about $25 billion. That's a pretty big number. Uh, that would mean we'd have to take about $500 billion off the market. But then again, remember, we had, you know, we did have a parabolic run. People are going to take some off. We also had uh, Mt. Gox was selling a couple billion dollars worth of it. Um, so we had something, and we had transactions come down. So you had, you know, three or four different things happen. I think tax selling was probably the fuel on top of it. I do think there is some validity to it, though. All right. Beeks, we're going to let you go. Great to check all in right. with you. Brian Kelly. You're have on a good weekend, all. You too. Have a good weekend. Here's a look at a chart. I like this game. You play this game a lot. If and you, you don't know what the right, name was on the, the chart. Just looked at a chart. Would you say, hey, I'm going to buy me some well, of that? You can make an argument that maybe <laughs> this week or the last couple of weeks have put in some bottoming pattern and you had big volume based on all the things that Brian just talked about and maybe it's turning to the upside. Risk reward makes a lot, a lot of sense here. So under the guidelines that you just set forth, mm -hmm. you can make a compelling technical case, I guess, for Bitcoin. Where are you on overstock, which also, also caught a bid on the back of the second? I am out of overstock, okay. but if, I'm thinking about trading it. If this all keeps gaining traction, you're going to see AMD run again, NVIDIA run again, and you'll see overstock run again. Overstock story, I think, still is intact. There were a couple of headlines that spooked a lot of people out of it, including myself. Mm -hmm. So I think you're going to see that story ratchet up again. Yeah. Well, I just want to comment on the fact that at times we've talked about the Bitcoin market actually leading the overall market in terms of risk appetite. So I'm not saying we're about to rebound dramatically. But again, crypto and cannabis have been on fire this week. And they were ones that certainly failed first after 
going parabolic first. Yep. Yeah. Coming up, don't look now, but Apple shares are just 5% from their all-time highs. We'll tell you what's behind the move. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. How on earth can you forgive yourself? If you've never owned Netflix, you probably can't. But we do have a way to make money off the streaming earnings on Monday. We'll explain. Plus, at General Electric, progress is our most important product. Except there hasn't been much of that of late. And there are signs the worst is yet to come next week. We'll tell you how to profit when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the pot stocks topping the tape today. Aurora and Chrono soaring more than 6%. Um, what's behind this move, Tim? Well, there's a deal struck between uh, Trump and, and Cory Gardner, who ultimately is, you know, he's the man that's on behalf of Colorado standing in there for states' rights, which is the big issue. When the coal memo was overturned, this put a lot of these stocks under pressure. The irony here is, by the way, the Canadian producers, may when U.S. goes full legal and full or, you know, whatever we're going to call it, decategorized, descheduled, um, it might be a lot of pressure for the Canadian producers. Bottom line, though, as we saw today, as we saw this week, the overall story for the cannabis industry is becoming mainstream. And people are understanding that this is a fight against the opioid epidemic. They're understanding the, the benefits. This isn't just a recreational call. Obviously, for many people, it is. For Colorado, it's, it's a huge state revenue story. Mm -hmm. It's 120 million last year, so money talks. And you can make an argument that anybody's involved in the industry, it's because money talks. Did you mean putting pressure on the Canadian producers mean that investor interest will go into U.S.-based stocks as opposed to the Canadian ones now? Canadian producers trade at a premium right. because they are the investable mega cap. And again, mega cap means it's three to five billion. There it's medical. fully legal in mm -hmm. Canada. A lot of these companies, by the way, are buying up assets with these expensive stocks as the currency of choice, buying up private deals in California and Colorado yeah. and all over the U.S. So they are global plays. Don't get me wrong. And I think they're good companies. But big news today, big news this week. All right. Apple seeing red, officially launching the limited edition red version of the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus phones. Josh Lipton's in San Francisco with all the details. Hi, Josh. Melissa, these new red iPhones start at $699 for the smaller model, $799 for the Plus, the same price as those other colors. Remember, a portion of proceeds for all product red purchases goes to the Global Fund, which funds programs to combat HIV and AIDS in Africa. Apple has donated $160 million since partnering with that fund back in 2006. So how popular are these red phones really? Gene Munster of Loop Ventures tells me new colors are a, quote, fractional positive, adding around one to two to three million iPhones a year by his estimate. The introduction of the red phones, of course, comes as some analysts have had to adjust their expectations for the current iPhone lineup. The company sold 77 million iPhones in the final quarter of 2017. That did miss analyst projections of 80 million, though the average selling price, remember, jumped 15 percent to a better than expected $796. Now, in the March quarter, the street is looking for 54 million iPhones. That would be a gain of 6% year over year. For the fiscal year, 223 million. That would be a gain of 3%. But the street already focused on those new iPhones expected in the fall time frame. RBC is saying to look for an update to the current iPhone 10, a larger 6.5-inch OLED device, and what they're calling a budget-friendly 6.1-inch LCD phone. But Apple employees, they better be careful how much they talk about these devices. Reports are circulating today of an internal memo where Apple warned employees that leaking information can result in legal action and criminal charges. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. You know, I just, well, Josh I, I is still there. No, no, yeah. I, hi, Josh. I are would you, just say, you know, you've got to be pretty 
hip to have an Apple red phone or whatever they're calling it. I mean, you got to look like Josh Lipton and this guy. And that right is here. the music right. from Magnum. I mean, playing, look by at the way. that. Oh, obviously, Josh yeah. always play it. He's cruising in his convertible with his red phone, red, red iPhone, playing his Magnum PI music. Does he have an ascot on today? <laughs> I hope so. Look at that, man. Oh. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting it done yet. Shattered but, the you know, whole I will tell thing. you guys, there's no, uh, there's no iPhone, there's no red iPhone 10 though. You can get um, a leather case for $99, so maybe we know what to get Guy for his birthday there. Nice. <laughs> Thanks for the idea, Josh. Just remember me there. He's got a flip Thanks. phone. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> How do we trade Apple here? So I've been long with uh, Apple for quite some time now. Tim talks about services. Everyone wants to say it's just a hardware company. But when you look at large cap tech that has basically took it on the chin recently, Apple seems to be, uh, I don't want to say immune to it, but it's above its moving averages. It looks better technically than the other ones do. I'm staying long. It. It's just a whisper away from its all-time high. Yeah, I mean, it's in a trade. You buy it at 160, it becomes a funding short at 180, in my opinion, until they really start to move the needle on services. And I think services is the area where street expectations going out uh, really are, are kind of, you know, they're not looking for a ton of growth right now. If they do start to exhibit growth in that area, I think street numbers have to be ratcheted up or they'll at least offset any, you know, losses from, from iPhone slipping. Yeah, I think quickly, I think service revenue has to be high teens, low 20s for Apple to get the valuation that everybody that's long the stock wants, and we're not that Does it matter about all now. these new phones coming out in the fall? Red phone. No, no, the smaller phone, all that. I think that's a risk, actually. The I mean, small phone. Yeah, well, I think too many skews. Even we in talked emerging about markets that. like India? Uh, look, they need different price points, and there's yeah. an argument that actually if they can appeal to a, a lower demographic. I, I just think Apple's valuation here with the money and the capital they can give back to the consumer and their sales growth and the stability of this company in this tape. Yeah, Stay with it. All right. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Yeah, disappointing day for banks. Morgan Stanley's going to report next week. Uh, you know, they have a different business model. It's asset management related. Morgan Stanley. Uh, you know, Zillow obviously down today after earnings. They changed their business model and they surprised the street. I'm a seller because I, I think it's a complete 180. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't touch it. Grasso. Alibaba, susceptible to any tape bomb headline regarding trade war with China. I'm back in the name. I think it is definitely in a trading range, but I expect it to move higher in the next couple of weeks. Big O.A. coming up. It's always who do, big. Who do when have, is it not who, big? You know, it's, it's, We've got the Dan. We've got others. the Mike. I mean, We've got the Carter. They're all here. They're all here. Studio. Full house. They're probably studying up all for the show right up. now. They're in Are the they jackets today? Clearly. It's O.A. trades up there. IBM in earnings next week, but BK talks about this, yeah. Uh, that's it for us here on Fast. We'll see you Monday at 5. Don't move. Options action starts right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.